Okay, is my mic working okay? Need to adjust it at all? Okay. Uh, we're uh, continuing our series in James tonight, and we're, uh, we're about in the middle of the letter of James. Uh, what do you think of it so far? Are you, are you enjoying James? I don't see a lot of uh, excitement about it there. <laughs> um, you know, James is pretty, uh, pretty hard-hitting at times. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches. Uh, he puts it very straightforward. He's pretty hard on us and uh, very challenging. So sometimes it's not the most enjoyable uh, letter to read or part of the Bible, uh, but it certainly is powerful and, and can uh, really guide us in experiencing um, God's work in our lives. So, uh, yeah, we're reading from James 3, verses 1 to 12, and the title is uh, Words That Kill, Words That Heal. Okay, so let's uh, read the word of the Lord from James uh, chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and, and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, do we need to adjust the sound somehow? Is it, is it coming through okay? Should we just use this one? Okay, we'll try that. Um, my voice isn't the greatest uh, tonight, but uh, the Lord will still be speaking to us. So, um, now if we look at uh, James here, um, why does he seem so pessimistic about the tongue? It, it seems rather hopeless. He says that the tongue cannot be tamed. Uh, it's kind of strange that uh, some versions, including the NIV, that the title of the, uh, the heading is uh, Taming the Tongue, and yet... Uh, James says it can't be tamed, so it uh, it seems rather 
uh, discouraging. But what we see here in, in James is that he often exaggerates to make his point. He, he kind of goes to an extreme uh, to make us aware of the problem and so that we will be all the more stronger in, uh, in finding the solution. Now, just a minute, I want to look at verse 1. He says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Uh, I could get rather defensive about this because I'm a teacher. <laughs> so what is, what is uh, James trying to say? Not, not too many of you should be teachers. Actually, in, uh, in the society at that time, especially in Judaism, the, uh, in the first century Jews, uh, the position of a teacher was a very high position, a, a position of authority, uh, kind of a ruler in a sense over the community of God's people. Uh, and so it could be that there were too many people uh, trying to get into that position and maybe uh, thinking about how they could use that position for their own selfish benefit. And so uh, James is kind of putting a caution, saying not too many of you should be teachers. It's not talking about teachers in a classroom. It's really a leader uh, in authority over the community. I just wanted to mention that because otherwise uh, um, people might be saying, well, you're a teacher. What about you? Um, but that's really... Uh, not exactly what, what he's talking about. Now, what he talks about the tongue, and you notice the, uh, the uh, title uh, tonight is, uh, is about words that kill and words that heal. Um, I think back to when I was uh, a young boy, and... Um, should I claim that's me? <laughs> uh, no, it's not me, but... I probably look something like that. I was a 14-year-old boy. I was quite small. And we lived near the city of Chicago where there was a lot of snow in the winter. And one way that boys could earn some money was by shoveling the sidewalks. And there was an apartment complex that needed boys to uh, shovel the sidewalks there. And so I got into this, and I was assigned a certain uh, stretch of apartments where I would shovel the sidewalks whenever it snowed. And so this required me often to get up very early in the morning. My mom would wake me up and say, oh, it snowed overnight. You have to go shovel the snow. And so I'd go and, and, uh, and shovel the, the sidewalks. And I didn't really mind it. I kind of liked uh, shoveling the snow. Um, but then after a few weeks, I, I, it snowed one time, and I went to the place to shovel. And I was met by uh, a man, an adult. And uh, he, he confronted me and said, what, what's been going on? Why haven't you been showing up? to shovel the snow off the sidewalks all these weeks. Uh, and I said, no, I've been here. I've been doing it. And he said, no, no, I, I, I've been monitoring it. And, and you guys, not only you, but the other ones are, have not been showing up and, and shoveling the sidewalks. And, and uh, I just kind of choked up. I, I couldn't really say anything. I was a young kid, and I wasn't very confident, and I, I couldn't even answer him back. I was so troubled by this. And... Uh, you know, he said, this is really bad. You, you're supposed to be here every time, and you're not showing up. And he asked uh, my name, and I told him my name, and he says, uh, uh, are you the son of Peter Cruz? And I said, yes, I am. And uh, he said, oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. And the reason he was saying that is my dad was the principal of the Christian school in that community. He was kind of a person of, of respect and honor in that community. So the guy was saying, you're not really worthy to be his son, uh, you should be ashamed of yourself. 
And you know, something kind of died in me that day. It, it really hurt. It was painful. I felt really put down, really insulted and uh, falsely accused and, and really put to shame unjustly because in truth I had been going there and shoveling the sidewalks. And it's an example to me of words that kill. Uh, and think back in your own, your own life uh, where you've experienced something like that, where you've hurt, been hurt by somebody's words. And it was, it was serious enough that you not only felt bad for a little while, but, but something kind of died inside. It hurt you that much. Uh, and that's how it can be that words uh, will, he- will kill So uh, this is something that the Bible passage talks about. It doesn't exactly use those words, but think about it too in terms of, you know, he talks about cursing and blessing. So we think about words that curse and words that bless. So we have uh, four sections of our message tonight. The first is the power of words, and the second will be uh, evaluating our words. The third is transformation of our words, and then the final is thinking about how we can really speak words of blessing and words of life, life-giving words. So first of all, the power of words uh, to hurt and to kill. And back to James 1. Just notice a few things that, that James says about the tongue here. Uh, he says it's small but controlling. His words, he talks about the, the, the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder of the ship. Even though they're very small, they have very very great power to influence. And so... The tongue is small, but it is controlling. Secondly, he says the tongue is boastful. It makes great boasts, he says. Then it is fiery. The tongue is a fire, he says, and set on fire by hell itself. The tongue is corrupting. It corrupts the whole person, James says. And then it is untamable. No one can tame the tongue. Beyond that, it is restless, he says. It's a restless evil. It's poisonous, full of deadly poison. And then finally, it's inconsistent. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, he says, and, and that really uh, should not be. So uh, again, uh, P- James seems very, uh, very pessimistic here about the tongue, and, and uh, in a way we, we don't find the solution in his passage here, and so we need to, to look elsewhere for how to deal with the tongue. But first I think of uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, you see it on the screen. What would you, how would you answer if someone said, uh, have you broken this command? The command is, you shall not murder. Anyone who's broken this command? I don't see any hands. Oh, I see a few. Okay, I think maybe, maybe you understand what uh, we're getting at here. So uh, think about Jesus' words uh, about this command in Matthew 5. He says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to, to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Raka was a term of contempt or insult. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so we see that Jesus is saying that you have to look deeper than just the outward act 
Even your words and your thoughts can, can be killing, can be, uh, cause death to other people. And uh, if we think about uh, our own experience, uh, actually I want to look at the catechism here because I think it, it puts it very, very powerfully and very well in summarizing and looking at uh, the commandment, the sixth command. So let's look at this in the catechism. The question is, what is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? The command is, do not commit murder. The answer, I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I'm not to be partners with others in this. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I'm not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with a sword. Question, what, uh, does this commandment refer only to killing? The answer, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. The next question, is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? And the answer, no. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even uh, to our enemies. And so uh, the, the catechism really makes it very clear that uh, this command has to do with our, not only our actions, but our words, our whole way of life, and that we need transformation, not only to stop doing these things, but also to experience the power of love, of God's love that we receive and then extend to others around us. Just think about your own experience, uh, perhaps, of what kinds of words are words that kill, that hurt, that cause so much pain. And uh, we have a list of them here, attacking words, uh, threatening, mocking, insulting, humiliating words, teasing, sarcastic words, accusing words, insinuating words, manipulating, bullying, discouraging, deflating, fighting words, intimidating, name-calling words. Okay, there's a couple of people that... uh, are quite good at using these kinds of words, it seems. Um, I just put this here to remind us that uh, it's even people in high positions that have trouble with, uh, with their tongues. But if we think about that list of, of those kinds of words that are, are painful or hurtful, we've experienced some of that ourselves. If we are honest, we have also uh, been guilty of using those words with others. We could call it verbal abuse. Uh, we, we are probably familiar with physical abuse, and sometimes this is a problem in marriage or in the family. And, and uh, physical abuse especially is usually done by men who are physically more powerful usually uh, than their wives and their children, and it's a very sad thing. But in terms of verbal excuse, both genders are, are very well capable of uh, doing verbal uh, abuse, both men and women. And so this is a problem uh, for all of us. So thinking about words, 
on the other hand, not words that kill, but words that bless and uh, that give life. Uh, these are encouraging words, affirming words, comforting words, hopeful words, and appreciative words. How have you experienced that? Uh, think about your own life and how you've experienced that, uh, these positive, encouraging, healing, and blessing words from others. Um, I, I think uh, about my high school graduation um, a few years after the snow shoveling incident. I was, I was 17 years old and graduating from, uh, from high school, and I had to give a speech at the graduation. No, I wasn't the valedictorian. I wasn't the smartest, but somehow I uh, got roped into giving the speech at graduation. And this was a terrifying thing for me. I, w- I was really scared and because I had this problem with stage fright, and, and I was really frightened about this. But after... <laughs> plenty of prayer and fasting, uh, I went up and gave the speech, and, and by the power of God, it, it went very well. And then afterwards, as people were congratulating the graduates, people were saying, oh, uh, wow, you gave a great speech. Uh, you're going to become a pastor, aren't you? You're, you'll be a preacher. Uh, you'll, you'll go far in, in this, and uh, you'll do great. And that was so encouraging to me. It really changed my life. Because uh, up until that point, I had thought about going into ministry, but I thought, no, I really can't. I'm just too frightened to speak in front of people. Uh, But that really changed things around. Uh, It was the positive, encouraging words of people that made a great difference. Uh, Just thinking about the importance of words, Jesus uh, made it very clear in, in Matthew 12. Let's read these few verses, Jesus said, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let that sink in a minute for us. So once again, we see how serious this is about our words and and even looking ahead to judgment. That will play a huge part in in how we are judged one day uh, by our words. And Jesus makes it very clear that it goes much deeper just than the words that we speak. It's, It's really a matter of the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning that, you know, it's not just the words that come out on their own, but there's something going on in our hearts that influences how we speak. It's really a matter of the heart. So let's go on to think about the evaluation of our words, how to look at ourselves, evaluate our words, and not only our own, but even others. First of all, how have we been uh, affected by the words of others in our lives? And first of all, for good, how, how have You, if you think about the past, not only when you were a child, but uh, even growing up and and as an adult, how have you been blessed and encouraged 
by the words of others. Maybe try to think of one person in particular that uh, influenced you positively in your life. Maybe a teacher, a coach, uh, a mentor, an employer, a parent. Uh, just someone in your life that, that has made a difference in a positive way. And if, if you think about that person, it's probably their words that made a very big difference. How they spoke about you, how they encouraged you, affirmed you, and so on. I think, again, about my high school years, and uh, I think about our principal while I was in high school. And, and he was such a, a great listener, he really cared for, for us uh, students, and he is someone that you could really approach and, and bring to him your concerns on your heart and, and share, with that, share them with him, and he would encourage, he would guide, he would accept what we had to say. It really made a powerful difference in my life to the extent that even just a few weeks ago, uh, I gave him a phone call and chatted with him and followed up uh, by writing an email in which I expressed my appreciation for the difference that he made in my life at that stage. So thank God for these people that he has placed in your life and mine that have really encouraged us in the words that they spoke that helped us forward. But then also think about how you've influ been influenced in a negative way by the words of others. Don't dwell on this too much. I don't want you to really be thinking about that and thinking back and maybe... Uh, thinking about revenge for, for those people in the past. But just think briefly that, yes, in some ways, you and I have been hurt or, or discouraged by the people around us. But then let's go on to think about how we influence others. What are the effects of our words upon others around us? And, you know, generally we're not very good judges of ourselves in this. So to try to think about... How do people around you uh, experience you in your words? Maybe your spouse, maybe a close friend uh, that could kind of evaluate. What would they say uh, about your words and how you speak and the influence that has on others? And I have a list of, of words. I wasn't able to put it on the PowerPoint, but... Um, but I'll just read through this list and try to pick out a few words that would be true of you, that perhaps someone else would say, that's how I would describe his words or her words. Uh, just think about these terms and choose a few that apply to you. And these are in alphabetical order, and they include both the negative and the positive. So uh, think of both, the positive and the negative here, about your words. Argumentative, arrogant, attacking, bitter, bland, blunt, bossy, careless, cheerful, cold, comforting, critical, encouraging, entertaining, enthusiastic, fault-finding, few, forthright, friendly, funny, gentle, gossipy, grateful, harsh, Hopeful, humble, insightful, insulting, intelligent, intimidating, joking, judgmental, kind, many, motivating, nagging, patient, 
peaceful, pleasant, quarrelsome, sarcastic, sharp, sweet, thoughtful, timid, understanding, warm, witty. If you can just choose a few of those terms that would kind of describe your words, how you influence others with your words, what would you choose? What would you identify? And maybe even later you could ask a friend, a spouse, a son or daughter or parent, what would they say? What would they choose from the list? And uh, if you'd like me to send this list to you, uh, I can find some way to do that. Let me know. But let's go on to think about the transformation of our words. And uh, thinking back again to James 3, um, it's, it's, again, it sounds quite pessimistic. And he says the, the tongue cannot be, ch- be tamed. So we might say, well, why try? If, if it can't be tamed, if we can't control it, let's just give up. Uh, I don't think that's what James really wants us to do. There's a few positive notes uh, in James here. He says, with it we bless or we praise God. Uh, so there's, there's some possibility we can do something good with our tongue. He also, in verse 2, he talks about the perfect man who, uh, who controls his speech. Now, he's not talking about someone that's totally sinless or faultless, but he's talking about someone who's mature, who's, who's uh, gotten control of himself. Uh, so and maybe James wants us to strive to be like that person. But... However much we try to change, we realize we're very limited. We realize that it really takes something deeper. It's not just a matter of behavior modification, of trying hard and starting new habits. That may be part of it, but we have to go deeper once again. And uh, back to Jesus' words in Matthew 12, verse 33, he said, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. So our... our uh, Our words are the fruit, we ourselves, our lives are the tree. And so we realize that we need a more complete change. And likewise with his words, out of the abundance of the the heart, the mouth speaks. I like the message translation of that. It says, it's your heart, not the dictionary that gives your words, that gives meaning to your words. It's not your heart, but it's not... It is your heart. Did I say it wrong the first time? Excuse me. It's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. So it's really a, it's really a heart matter. And in a sense, it requires heart surgery, uh, a change of heart for us to experience transformation uh, in this area of our speech and our words. So first of all, to experience that, we need to receive God's word planted deep in our hearts, receive God's message, uh, listen to what God says uh, about ourselves uh, so that we receive the fullness of, of his grace. Now we know that the Bible, God's word is very plain about the negative side. Once again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In a sense, uh, it also tends to sound rather hopeless. But there's so much positive. If we have experienced God in our lives, if we have come to know Jesus and experienced the rebirth, the, the words that, the, that God speaks to us are so powerful and so, uh, such a blessing. Think of passages like Ephesians chapter 1, and I can't 
quote it for memory, but, you know, Paul talks about how we have been uh, blessed and lavished with blessings in Christ. We've been adopted by him. We've been chosen. Uh, God had us in mind before the foundation of the world, and God planned us for something very special, to be part of his plan. He redeemed us. He bought us with the blood of Jesus. He made us his own, his own children, to do something very special as part of his plan. Think of 1 John 3, uh, verses 1 and 2, where, where John says that uh, now we are children of God. And, and think of the love that God has lavished on us. And it, it has not even appeared what we shall be when, we, when he returns, but we will become like him. So many of these powerful passages talk about uh, who we are in Jesus Christ. We've been raised to a high position in Christ as his children and his people. And so this is a message full of grace, of mercy from God. It's a blessing. It's powerful. So in order to experience that transformation in our words, we need to receive that word from God, that word of blessing, and and receive God's healing from the hurts that we've experienced uh, about others' words. There's a, a phrase that says, hurt people hurt people. It's not trying to be redundant. It's saying that if we have been hurt by others, we will also tend to hurt other people in turn. And so we need to first receive healing in ourselves and think of those times that we have been hurt by others' words and actions and experience God's healing from those to... to uh, see them in a different light, to see them as part of God's grace, that somehow even those things can be used by God to shape us into what he wants us to be. Remember the word, it says, by his wounds, by the wounds of Christ, you are healed. So receive his healing in this area of words, uh, in, in, in the area of the pains that we've experienced from others. And by God's grace, in turn, forgive those people. Let go of those wounds and those hurts and extend God's forgiveness, God's grace to them. Let them go and release yourself also from an unforgiving spirit. And so we realize that we also have hurt others with with our words. And so we go to God also and repent of those ways that we've hurt others, the insults that we've given, the way we've put people down and, and quarreled with others and hurt them. We, we receive God's forgiveness. And often we need to go to those people themselves and say, yes, I realize I hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And receive forgiveness from them. This involves really getting a new perspective on our lives. And there are many Bible passages that talk about this. I think especially of, uh, of Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says that, Uh, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So again, uh, Paul is saying you've been been raised up with Christ. You're, You're seated with him. Uh, You're in a position of of glory and in a sense of power as God's people. So take hold of this and and let this transform the way you think and and, and the way you experience life, the way you interact with people and the words 
that, uh, that you speak. Uh, you know, since we are in Christ in such a wonderful, powerful way, we don't have to strive for status in life. We don't have to pull other people down and try to lift ourselves up, which is often the cause of, of hurtful words. But we can rest in God. We can, we can trust him that he is our defender, he is our help, he will be all that we need. And so we, we see in, in Paul's writing again in Ephesians how this, this new attitude, this new perspective on life will transform the way we speak. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And he goes on to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, uh, forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's really a complete change of life and uh, change of the way we speak and the way we act. It's a change that begins in our, our uh, hearts it goes into our minds, changing our thinking, and then goes on to change our words and our actions. A Christ-centered way of life that really puts Christ first and thinks about others next and, in a sense, put ourselves last. So how can we really practice this? How can we speak words that really heal and that really bless uh, others? And uh, I want to think about this in a several specific areas of life. First of all, the family. I hope your family is a, is a place of great harmony, of uh, sweet words, but in reality, our, our, wor- our, our families, our homes also tend at times to be places of quarreling and, and harsh words. Um, in a way that's somewhat natural because with the people we live with, we feel like we can be open with, be transparent, be ourselves. But we also want to see the transformation of our words in the family. So first of all, think about in terms of parenting, as parents, fathers and mothers, in raising your children, how do you motivate and discipline uh, your kids? So, you know, there is a tendency at times for parents to use shame or humiliation uh, you know, if they do something wrong, to kind of humiliate them so they won't do it again. Or to threaten them, say something like that. Oh, if you do that again, the police are going to come and get you and take you away from us. Uh, you know, these kind of threats, which usually are not fulfilled, of course, but, uh, but they are, they're not really helpful. They're really uh, using intimidation rather than true love and, and uh, discipline the way God, God wants. So you know, never tell your child that he or she is stupid, bobo, uh, anything negative like that, or that they'll never succeed, that, they'll never, that they're, they're failures. Do not give the impression that you think your kid is a failure. Uh, but instead, bless your children with affirming words every day. Every day, think of new ways in which you can express positive uh, affirmation for something that they've done and to encourage them forward. Um, you know, we need to be our kids' cheerleaders, to cheer them on, not focusing so much on the negative, but really more on the positive. We need to be listeners. We need to be the kind of parents that our kids can really come to 
with their struggles. Not be, uh, you know, harsh and, and resistant to them, but be very open. So actually, good words start uh, with good listening, to listen to others. Think about, uh, you know, I love the, the custom among Filipinos, the manopo, uh, when, in the greeting, when, when children greet their parents or someone uh, older, manopo. You know, it's really, it's asking for a blessing. And uh, parents, as you, as you bless your kids, make it a meaningful blessing, not just, you know, uh, out of habit, but, but think of positive ways that you can really bless them and say, I bless you in the name of the Lord. I, I bless you with health and uh, doing well in your exams and uh, enjoying life. Uh, think of positive ways to do that. And even children, uh, as you do the manopo, you know, uh, don't just go through the motions, but also realize that this is a true way of showing respect. And not just outwardly, but that, that respect for your parents comes from uh, deep inside. Think specifically about marriage and, and uh, for you husbands and wives, for me also, uh, you know, think back to uh, your days of courtship and all the loving words that uh, you, know, you spoke to each other, words of uh, affirmation and, and oh, how wonderful you are and you did such a good thing, great, that was wonderful and uh, showing appreciation and care and concern and Somehow, after the wedding, that starts to kind of go down. Uh, why is that? We tend to, to let go of those, those words of affection. Maybe we take it for granted and think, well, I've got her now. I can. doesn't really matter. Um, but let's resist that tendency and keep up the words of uh, affirmation, encouragement to each other. Um, you know, once in a while, uh, after I come home from a day of work, Bessie will say, well, thank you for, for working hard today so that we have food on the table. And sometimes I will tell her, oh, thank you for cooking today. Uh, we might think, oh, do you really need to say that? Can't you just take it for granted? But, but at least sometimes we ought to repeat those words of affirmation and find creative ways to express uh, and show appreciation and affirmation. I think about the workplace. Uh, in the workplace, I know many of you work in places where there's probably a lot of negative words that you hear. Uh, many of you are working in non-Christian environments, and that may be a struggle, but think how you can respond positively. As Jesus says, uh, bless and do not curse. Uh, bless those who, who curse you. And so we can practice that uh, in the workplace. For employees, what, what do you say about your boss to your fellow workers uh, when he's not listening? Uh, you know, there's a tendency for employees to kind of complain about those in charge, those in authority, and, and speak some bad words while they're not around. But think about how you can be positive, too, even when they're not listening and engender a positive attitude among others. For employers, uh, be careful not to use intimidation or harshness uh, with your employees. Don't be critical, harsh, or humble them, humiliate them. Uh, but again, be positive, be encouraging. Um, one thing that really helps with this is to respect uh, employees, those that we, we serve, that we're supervising, 
as truly fellow human beings made in the image of God. They're not merely servants. They're not slaves, but they are fellow human beings in God. I think back again to, uh, to two bosses that I worked for. One was, uh, while I was still in high school, I worked part-time in a department store uh, doing janitorial work. And my boss's name was John. And uh, John was, was so patient. He would, he would explain how to do things. And if I would do it wrong, he would carefully show me the right way to do it. He wouldn't get angry or upset or impatient. I remember one time that I and my fellow workers were kind of racing to set records, to set speed records, like uh, who could uh, vacuum the store in the least amount of time. And uh, I think I was setting the record. <laughs> and, uh, and then one day John said, you know, you guys are not really cleaning the floor very well. You're not really vacuuming very well. And, and, and I wondered, how did he know that? And he said, oh, I could tell by, because there's not much dirt in the vacuum cleaner. Uh, but he was very gentle, very calm about it. Later on, I, uh, my first year in college, I needed to earn some money. So I worked part-time for a constructing a, a contractor who was building houses with hollow blocks. And so I was assigned to carry the hollow blocks uh, to the masons and make the cement uh, and bring it to them. And uh, there were two bosses, actually. One was very good, but the other one uh, was very negative. Uh, he, uh, I don't even remember his name, but I'll just call him Albert. So Albert would be insulting and say, why did you do that? Hurry and get the cement over here. Don't be so slow. Come on, don't you know how to do that? Uh, and he would just be kind of insulting and mocking. And I can remember one time I accidentally dumped a, uh, a whole wheelbarrow full of cement. You know, it's about, like about a half cubic foot, a uh, half cubic meter of cement. And so it was wasted. And he just laughed and laughed and mocked me for it. And, of course, I felt very ashamed and very put down. Now, uh, you probably have experienced things like this. But what is kind of noteworthy as I look back upon this, which one do you think was a Christian? Actually, John, the first one, I don't think he was a Christian. Um, but Albert was a church-going Christian. And yet I think back, who was really more like Christ? Who was a godly uh, employer in the sense of uh, being kind and caring? And uh, it really said to me, yeah, we really have to be careful how we treat other people, especially employees. Are we really being Christ-like in the way that we do that? So just a, okay, thank you. <clears throat> uh, a few other tips uh, about speaking healing and positive words. Uh, Bessie and I just came back from uh, Cambodia. I know Brother Toitz is familiar with Cambodia. So Doiditz, can you show us how people uh, greet each other in Cambodia? What's the typical way of greeting? Okay, you see, it's uh, like this. And, uh, you know, when I encountered that, uh, it really kind of bothered me. I thought, well, am I worshiping the person? And, uh, you know, it seemed like an act of worship. And I thought, that on only God should receive that kind of action. And I kind of struggled to receive it from people and to practice it myself. Um, and I'm still not very good at it. But uh, Bessie and I were there for a couple of weeks recently. Um, but what came to my mind is that every person 
carries the image of God. And so when I would greet people like that, I would think, I'm respecting the image of God in people. And if we take that attitude that uh, everyone we meet, everyone we interact with carries the image of God, and so we need to respect and show that respect in our words. Another thing is to just remember the power of blessing. If we read through the Bible, we, we really see the power of blessing. In the Jewish tradition, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, when, when fathers would bless their sons, and uh, we have the benedictions in the, in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, we see every letter ends with a blessing. And so we need to think, how can we receive blessings from God and pass it on to others? That, that blessing itself is very powerful. It, it, it has powerful impact in the lives of others. And again, remember Jesus' words, bless and do not curse, even bless those who curse you. By blessing, we are participating in God's nature, in God's work. Just one more, uh, I don't know if we have any rotary people here, but, but the, the, just simply the, the four-way test of the Rotary Club. Some of you can probably say it from memory, but you know, simply, is it true? So we ask these questions about what we think, what we do, and what we say. Is it true? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? Actually, I heard that it was a Christian who, uh, who first uh, composed this and uh, gave it as part of Rotary. Uh, and so it does have a link to the attitude of the Bible of really blessing others with our words. And finally... Say it with a smile. I guess that didn't get on the PowerPoint. But, um, you know, even when we have to uh, say negative words, sometimes we have to correct people. Sometimes we have to rebuke people. Uh, we have to call a spade a spade and, and set things right. Even that, do it with a smile. Do it in a positive way. And that can influence also our attitudes, our hearts, uh, our body language is very important as well. And so, people of God, yes, there is hope for the tongue, uh, not so much by our own effort, but by taking a new perspective, by experiencing the power of God's words in our lives to transform us and then extend the blessing of God to others as well. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much for your great love which we cannot even measure. And it's a love that we do not deserve, O oh Lord. We know, Lord, there are people in our lives that we may feel don't deserve a love and don't deserve positive words, but we pray that you will empower us to, uh, to reach out to people with love, with blessing. Transform our hearts, O oh Lord, we pray, and that may that in turn transform our minds, our words, and our actions to really be people that speak words that heal and words that bless. Lord, heal us of the painful experiences that we have uh, gone through, being hurt by others' words. Help us to let go of them, experience your healing, and then in turn be agents of your healing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.